Welcome to another episode of Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. I'm your host, Peter Madrigal. And I'm Rob Federick. And I'm Rob Schulte. Guys, another wild card episode. <laughs> oh, you know, it's it's something oh. we love to do. We've done it once before. We're like, we gotta get back into it. But the best part about wild card episodes is we get to stray from the path a little bit and have yes, a little do. fun. Oh my god, cue the <laughs> ominous music. <laughs> <laughs> so, last wildcard episode, Rob, you had us do some trivia. It was a little drinking game trivia. We all got wasted. I was on <laughs> vacation, thank god. Um, do, real quick, we all have drinks right now, right? Well, we, you know, we can't have a wild card <laughs> episode and not have alcohol, especially with these <laughs> brand new mugs that Peter has given us uh, for oh, Madrigal yes. at the movies with Rob and Rob. You know what I'm going to have to do, guys? I'm going to let everybody know out there that we're going to have to we're going to put these on my um, on my Shopify store so people can go and purchase these mugs. Because let me tell you what, they're amazing to drink uh, coffee out of, but even more amazing to drink something a little bit harder out of. They're quite <laughs> large, so you know you get a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> yep. Oh man, yeah, it was like the size of my entire head. I love this mug. Anyway, oh, I love that. I'm I guess my head like is, is bigger than the mug, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying here. It's a big-ass mug. It's a, uh, it's a big-ass <laughs> mug. It really is. <laughs> so I had a lot of fun with trivia, and I do want to come back to trivia at later wildcard episodes, but my liver wasn't going to take it this week, guys. I just don't <laughs> think that I could lose that many questions and take that many shots again. So uh, uh, what do we got going on today, Rob? Um, I had this idea, Okay. Um, we're all very smart dudes. We have a lot of fun. We enjoy movies. It's the funnest month of the year. It's October. Halloween's coming up. So I wanted us to each pitch our take on the classic monsters. And I'll let you guys say who you chose. And then let's kind of talk about the whys. Uh, I picked the Phantom of the Opera just because he's one of my all-time favorite characters and uh yeah it's uh halloween in october is my favorite time my birth is in october so i i have to love it so i'm excited about this one yeah peter who'd you pick i picked dracula now i know Ooh. there's been a lot of like you know dracula movies out there but i think you guys would really appreciate or gonna appreciate my take on dracula <laughs> yeah and uh i guess i should probably say who i chose uh, <laughs> and that's yes. uh the wolfman nice so Real quick, yeah. Schulte, there's not yeah. been a lot of Wolfman movies. The last one that I saw, and I saw it in theaters with the Benicio Del Toro, Anthony Hopkins It was directed Wolfman. by Joe Johnson. Too. Yeah, it was directed by Joe Johnson. Yeah. It was not bad. It was okay. Well, I hadn't seen it since theaters, so I'm a little foggy. I think I was in my uh, Cheech and Chong phase of college as well, <laughs> so I was even more foggy at the time. Oh, but... I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind revisiting it, but my take. I don't know. I, I got. I got some thoughts. I got some thoughts, and I. I really wanted to choose Wolfman because I find the idea of werewolves to be really intriguing. Like the lore that comes with them. Like all of these characters have like you know mountains and miles of of lore and have been around for ages. But I always think that like this idea of an inner beast that like you can blame something on or, you know, trick, trick people because wolves are so dangerous in and of themselves. So that like 
maybe your mind's playing tricks on you. Maybe you're playing your own tricks on you. I don't know. I just really like the idea of werewolves. What about you guys? Uh, For werewolves in particular, I think what I love most about the Wolfman is actually the gypsy, like, premonition aspect of Mm. it all. You know what I mean? Like, like Wolfman Uh specific, not werewolves, you know, just that actual story. Uh, when uh, you know the Wolfman gets bit, and then he goes, and this gypsy woman basically is the his kind of his spirit guide into this uh, paranormal esoteric world. I will say, and I'm going to drop this right now. One of my favorite werewolf movies ever is called Wolf with Jack Nicholson uh, and oh, uh, James Spader man. and Michelle Pfeiffer. Wait, that, when did that come out? That came out in 1994. Five, I want to really? say, yeah, nineteen ninety four around there, a year before his uh, Oscar winning movie, Leaving Vegas. No, 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 Jack, not Jack Nicholson, not. Oh, I thought you said uh, I thought you said Nicholas Cage. No, 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 Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson, and James oh, okay. Spader, and it is it. a really good, really, I'm gonna have to watch movie. that. It's it's essentially the Wolfman retold in a modern uh, setting, and it's oh. and and it's it's pretty good. I really enjoyed it, so something to check out. Okay. Uh, yeah, 1994. So you were right on the money there. Yeah, nice, nice. Wow. Yeah, I've never seen Wolf either, but it's always been on the list. What about uh, Peter? Do you respond to that or? Uh, um, I why- see. Here's the thing: the werewolf man, the wolf man, whatever the werewolf, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I just it never really resonated with me. It it was a hard, it was hard for me to get through the Anthony Hopkins uh, version. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've never really gotten into it, but I'm very curious to hear your take on on something that I wouldn't, I'm not very interested in. It's not the first thing that I'm like, okay, you know, whenever whenever I'm thinking about the Halloween monsters, you know, automatically is Doctor Frankenstein's monster or Dracula or even the Mummy, you know, which I was like thinking about uh, reviewing. Yeah, yeah. You know? The Brendan Fraser version. The Brendan Fraser your, version, uh, even though one. that's not, but it's not really Halloween esque. Yeah, yeah. My yeah. point is, is that the Wolfman is way down on my list. Okay, well, okay. That's, uh, that's cool. So, hey, before we get into this, I want to sh- shoot out a disclaimer here. All ideas are copyrighted under Peter Madrigal, <laughs> Rob Schulte, Rob, Rob Federick, uh, under Madrigal of the Movies. And, uh, you know, uh, material is only for entertainment purposes and cannot be distributed or used or anybody. It's, it's, it's pretty much owned. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was that the micro machine guy? That was the spot? micro machine guy. <laughs> exactly. I love when we get those guest stars on the podcast. I know, you man. Know? You should hold an auction. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. Well, so, who, so uh, give us your uh, idea. Okay. Rob, what so, do we, what do we got for the Wolfman? I'm curious because I, like I said, I've never really been the biggest fan, so I want to know what you take on it. Cards on the table. I've got. 50 post-it notes in front of me here. So I I was really, really going through this. And uh, I I recognize that I'm going to need your guys' assistance on maybe some of the plot hole natures of this, because that's where your expertise are. But um, I really love old-timey Grimm's fairy tales, that era of like Eastern European folklore, stuff that's like really just been with us for for. Years and years. Now, I would like to set this story in that time frame. So, like, I think last episode we talked about that movie, The Witch, which is like in early American times. And uh, although, say what you will about that movie, I really love the setting. I really Mm. love just the idea of, you know, we saw it in Sleepy Hollow, you know, just like 
in the past and kind of like before the so, industrial revolution so the gothic horror period yes type of thing. that's the victorian it. See, era this is why i like having you on the podcast rob <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah so old timey east europe um i think that we need to have a village but a village that has been alive for hundreds of years you know so stories have traveled beyond families into the generations and generations but they're farming they're hunting now what what country would you say this takes place in because you're saying hundreds of years so i would i would assume not colonial america but like maybe england germany well yeah i'm thinking like an eastern european okay sort of sort of town you know transylvania (laughs) <laughs> sure, but we'll get there. Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, your your main characters have to be a family. You want to center around a husband, wife, and their daughter. Now, this is how we learn about the town. They are our proxy for living in this village. The village has expanded. You know that you can get to another village through pathways in the forest. People are hunting. People are you know, uh, doing their menial jobs, sewing clothes. The the father in this situation is a woodsman. Now, uh, what people start realizing in the town is that some rotting animals are creeping up in the excretes. Like, we all know it doesn't smell very good at this point in time, but it's smelling even worse. And people are discovering squirrels and rabbits. And uh, it's pretty terrible. Um, and kids start to find these animals and stories start to get, you know, the game of telephone is going through right. the town. And there's already people saying, you know, witches. There's a witch that lives in the woods and, you know, she's cursed this village ever since, you know, so-and-so happened years ago. And another person's like, well, it's got to be the wolves and it's got to be uh, dangerous animals in the past. And then... The town drunk ends up dead. And people start realizing, you know, you can make an excuse for it. You can say that it's a wild animal and he stumbled out there, but a wild animal wouldn't have gone to town on this body the way that it was. Like, this is a mutilated guy that has been then presented, like, left in the town for them as almost a message. So that's kind of a, a catalyst as to really start raising the stakes now do they start like investigating the whole the whole murder or killing rather like do they have like an ichabod crane if i may say do they have like an ichabod uh looking at the murder and being like oh this was a wild animal so but wait how does the murder look i mean like what is how did how does this town drunk end up i mean like is he slashed to pieces slashed his guts are out okay he is so it's you can they think automatically wild animal yeah, and I'm thinking that like you in the movie world, you could like point to the type of boots he was wearing. You know, you could point to something that was on his body, like a watch or something. Maybe not a watch, okay. but to identify something him. that to identify. I see. And oh, yes, okay. The so that's how badly woods, he's mangled. Yes, it is dangerous, and also it doesn't look like he's really been like eaten or anything. This is definitely killed and if he is eaten they left a lot of it but he, it was definitely a message being left to the town okay okay and the the woodsman is going to be the investigator he's the one that really wants to get to the bottom of this and so he starts researching like the journals of his elders he holds town meetings 
you know, everyone's truly petrified because it feels like even more animals are finding their way to uh, be dead and closer and closer to the center of town. Like nothing is stopping. And so there's, you know, um, curfews set so that children can only play in certain areas and everyone needs to be home at a certain time. It's a strict, you know, colony anyway, or it's a strict village, but things get even more strict. Um, And we learn that there is a witch in the woods. Like the woodsman goes out and finds the old hut and whatnot and is terrified, does not confront this witch. It's, it could be all in his head. You know, he, he sees a, a log cabin or whatever in the deep of the woods, but he's not approaching it because if this is the person that has cursed this town, far be it from him to actually just go there alone. Mm. And uh, as he does more research and talks to more people, um, he learns the truth that this is a dangerous, dangerous entity and he is not the first person who has confronted it. I'm rambling, boys, so let me get to the point. Uh, We find out that this guy's grandfather had made a pact with the witch that said, our town is going through a famine. We need meat. We cannot find any sort of meat. This is back in the day, obviously. So I will make a pact with you if you can make a spell that makes sure that we will always have meat near our town. Oh, wow. She curses the grandfather by turning him into a werewolf. He then hunts all of these animals in the past. But here's the, uh, the little twist is that, yeah, he died, but he passes it on to his next generation. Wow. And I'm a little, you know, the thing I haven't really put together completely that I'd love to know your guys' thoughts on are that maybe it skips a generation, which is why it's or kind of been forgotten. Died. Or maybe his father died yeah. before any of this could happen. Right. I'd maybe also the father like, was killed by this wolf, by the grandfather. That's also a good one because there, there's got to be a memory loss in there. There has to be some sort of um, uncontrollability, obviously. But I'd really like at some point in the movie for the daughter of the woodsman to go missing and that he has to go and find her and realize that he is a wolf and his daughter is a wolf and she's been going missing because she's afraid. So maybe some of the littler animals we saw at the beginning were from her killing them. Wow. He's the one killing all of the bigger animals and it's almost like a little red riding hood aspect as well. What a twist. What a twist. Yes. Yes. Jim <laughs> Knight, call me up. What a uh, twist. That's actually really good. I like that. So how did how would you say the movie concludes? How would you say it ends? That is one thing that I struggled with. I was talking to my girlfriend about it too, and it's like I almost wanted to end with like the existential dread of him like turning back from a wolf uh-huh. and not making it, but while at the same time like reading the journals from his daughter or hearing his daughter talking to her doll saying that that's what she's been doing. But that doesn't quite fit in with the memory memory loss aspect Mm. of it. So there's a couple of things that need to be fleshed out. But I I really like this idea of the twist kind of being the witch 
you think it's like this evil witch cursing this town. Why is she cursing the town? But it turns right. out it was a pact made, you know, almost in a Little Mermaid <laughs> style. Oh, okay. You know? I like yeah. It. How would you visually uh, make the Wolfman look? That is a good question because part of me really likes the idea of a werewolf looking like just a little bit bigger wolf. You know, oh, like right. a like 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 a husky of some sort. One that I really liked was the um, like fully transforming into an animal. Sorry, right? Yeah, I like the uh, I like the what's it called version, the um, uh, Van Helsing version with Hugh Jackman. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. They were very very big, strong, yeah. lichen looking, lichen looking. Yeah. yeah, and I do feel that like that could be the sort of thing where if it if it is a looks like a real wolf but a little bit bigger. That they could have some fun with perspective. You know, you might okay. think the wolf is further into the distance, but it's actually a lot closer to you. Huh. Cool. Interesting. But, guys, uh, the script needs work. And we have more scripts to work on in this. So I, like I will the, bring this like back this idea, to the journal. Though. This is making me, like, be a fan of the... Because, like, that kind of twist, you know, is like, oh, it skips a gen... Or, like, it go, it's passed down from the father, the grandfather to the father. And, you know, what's very weird about the whole thing is... This woodsman goes and looks for this witch, and the grandfather was like, "Oh, we're running out of meat," and so she transforms yeah. him into a wolf. Now eat all you want, right. <laughs> you know. And then, but he's so ashamed, meat. you know. He's so ashamed that he had to make a deal with the devil of sorts, right? That right. like he didn't tell anyone, yeah. and yeah. Well, now he's a full. He's a wolf all the time, I guess. Like that. That that's pretty. That's pretty interesting, actually. Yeah. Peter, yes, I'd like to hear about uh, your Dracula. Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, so my whole thing was I was uh, thinking about Freddy, uh, not Freddy, Jason, Jason Voorhees, and uh, Jason in space. So I was thinking like, oh god, Dracula (laughs) in space. Uh, (laughs) Yes, and and, you know, and I have sci-fi Dracula. I have a I have a tagline, and it's all like. Oh, you know, you th- you thought that the alien was from Aliens was really bad. You can't hear. We we can definitely hear you scream with Dracula in space. Uh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Drink that, I'm actually. kidding, guys. That's, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a fake ad. I'm kidding. That's not my actual script. Damn it! You know I what? wanted to. Uh, <laughs> I was going to do a similar thing with mine, so oh, I'm going to do it anyway when we get there. I'm going to give you that that, that concept. <laughs> and then, okay, cool. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, the actual, the, the actual way I did it is I, I took from, um, real world events that are happening right now. So what happens is that, uh, we don't start in Transylvania. We start in London, you know, 1888, whatever. And okay. I kind of wanted to combine Dracula with, of course, Jack the Ripper. Right. Wow. And, um, oh. so you have this boat show up and everyone's dead on it. And there's of course a coffin on it, but everyone's dead. So they don't think anything of the coffin and they transfer the coffin to the crypts. Right. And, uh, and then slowly but surely, these people just start dying, right? And they like, but it's not like, it's, it's more, it's not like the two holes, you know, getting their blood sucked out. They're, they're dying from a gash and getting their blood sucked out like that. But what ends up happening to the bodies is that they are infected with a disease. Mm. So whoever handles the bodies and touches the bodies also gets that disease. Interesting. Yeah. 
So oh. as as the as the um, as the police officers in London in Mary London England are trying to figure this out, um, what happens is that the government has to go ahead and quarantine and shut down the entire city. Wow. So the only people oh. that are like allowed on the streets are um, are are like the bobbies, the the police officers. And, and but you still have see what my whole thing is is that number one it would look like the lighthouse the the Willem Dafoe movie it would be oh, black yeah, and yeah. white right and you would never and and of course like it would uh, be like um uh, Steven Spielberg's Jaws you would never see Dracula himself you would see reflections of like let's say you have like two police officers walking down the street right with a lantern and then behind them in the in the in the in the sta- in the glass window is like a, a vision of the of the creature, the Nosferatu creature. And you don't actually, but but it's just for a glimpse. And if you don't look hard enough- but it's not a reflection, right? Or does he cast reflections? Or, it, I mean, like, yeah. Like a it's shadow? Not, it's a, it's a uh, no, it's, it's him. It's him. It's him. It's a, okay. Yeah, okay. It, within the windows. All and right. it, like on the other side of the building, but you never, you can't catch it unless- Like a corner you, of your eye yeah, sort of thing? you pause right. it and you actually look for the monster. Interesting. Yeah. Nice. That's the way. That's the way I envision this whole thing. Like the, um, you know, you have like people like locked up in their homes and like having to grab bread from outside. You know, it's because nobody's allowed to leave, and they're all scared yeah. of this. You yeah, know and, but they're also getting, they're, and they're all dying too. It's like a plague, right? You know, because like one of my things is uh, with uh, with the Dracula movies, like for they always call the vampirism a disease, a virus. Mm-hmm. It's a virus. Yeah. Well, why don't we just take this to the next level and and use real world events that are happening right now, and it's like it's a virus that actually that that is killing people. And people are actually we, in quarantine, lockdown. Yes. Oh, that's in cool. this city. That's cool. I really like that. You can incorporate like visuals of like plague doctors and stuff that really look cool. Yeah. Yeah, like the oh, you know the the shit. beak doctor, uh, yeah, the beak with, doctors. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the play of doctors with like the raven looking masks and stuff yeah. like that, and the goggles. Yeah. So the protagonist in this movie, he's like an inspector. It's kind of like uh, my vision of Johnny Depp in From Hell. Not which Johnny he's Depp. great in that, by the yeah. way. I thought he was great. And yeah. he's trying Hell to yeah. he's trying to figure this out, but then he starts getting sick too. You know, oh. and you don't think that this guy's going to actually make it, and then all of a sudden one day it just dis- the whole thing just disappears. And we don't know. Nobody really knows what happened. I don't know. What do you guys think? Whoa. I'm into it because I feel like Dracula is this looming specter yes. that is tormenting yes. this quarantine town. And I really like the idea of a, an old Victorian-esque town under lockdown and people are becoming sick and potentially turning into vampires and being sick or whatever and then this well, no, inspect- it wasn't it's not it's not they're not turning into they're vampires, vampires. Okay. they're dying okay they're dying and, and then they're infecting other people and, too, infecting and other that's people. why everyone has to be in quarantine got it and then this this inspector in the midst of this quarantine where nobody's going to go out and this looming villain in the background yep. uh i think that's really cool I every think now and then, and then if you don't catch it like you 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 have to really train your eyes to see when you see the creature, when you see Dracula. You know what I mean? I like it. I, I've always, oh, I've always wow, hated yeah. the, I've always hated the slick back Dracula from the, you know, the the slick hair Dracula. The Bela Lugosi. Yeah, no, I've all, and yeah. then of course the Gary Oldman version. Right. I'm always, like, I actually you, like the Gary Oldman oh, version. Yeah, I mean, like I appreciate it, but yeah. I've always wanted to see like a, a Nosferatu type of just a scary monster like you, it's just like but but you know he, what else he's a creature of the night literally there's a movie that they're supposedly going to make hmm. uh which is called um 
I forget it was like the the voyage of the interceptor. I forget what the name of the of the Demeter, right? The voyage of the Demeter, I yeah. believe. And the Demeter was or the Demeter was the ship that carried Dracula from Transylvania to Carfax Abbey, London, right? Okay. And it uh-huh. it was supposed to star Viggo Mortensen, and it was supposed to be about the voyage that deadly sea voyage where Dracula killed everybody on board of the ship. Yeah. And I thought that would have been an interesting perspective because I like the idea yeah. of the isolation of the ocean yes. and this ship. And it, but like that's why I think your idea appeals to me because I like the idea of this quarantine where like it's kind of like you have nowhere to go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, and the- and this thing's looming around you. Yes. Like, I think it's. Cool. I like that too because I think it. You could play with the idea of people's fears with yours too, Peter. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, with everyone indoors or on their own lockdown during this uh you know virus plague happening like you could just show a bunch of bats flying out from a belfry or something and you don't have to say that's a vampire but we all know as an audience that's like vampire iconography and it doesn't have to be dracula but just being able to show these things that we we relate to vampires with could just add to setting the scene and making it more creepy, especially with all of these corner of your eye things happening. Yeah, exactly. And my whole thing is like, how do, how does anybody find out that Dracula is living out of a coffin during the day? You know, how does anybody really know this? Unless it's like, you know, uh, Van Helsing, you know, but he tracks the monster from Transylvania all the way back and i mean i guess we could put that in there as a twist and he arrives later on or you can make him the inspector like he's van hell like you know inspector lyles van helsing which isn't like the original but like you give him the name uh, and you incorporate it somehow into like that he's an inspector but he doesn't realize that he's tapped into this family lore of yeah exactly you know and i mean like he's trying to figure he still thinks throughout the movie but toward the end he's like okay this is there's something weird he still thinks that it's an animal that's been attacking these people and it's like rabies. So they, these people, like, they get attacked, they get their neck slashed open, all their blood is gone, and then all of a sudden they're infecting the people that handle the bodies. And those people infect their family members. And then it just keeps yeah, going down the street. Keeps, keeps going. And then eventually, you know, the main government is like, we have to shut down the entire the entire city and yeah. because this, this thing could spread. And the only person that's actually surviving the whole thing is Dracula himself until he leaves. But does he I win? I really like that idea. Yeah, yeah. Does he I, I want I want I've always liked open-ended movies where okay. does, does he win or does he not win or But what would what be happens? the the resolution of the story? Like what would happen at the end? Like what's the climax, you know? Like where we would head with it? The the, the climax is like a new dawn opening up the city again because all oh. of a sudden people are not afraid to come out anymore. Okay. All right. I like yeah. that. That's deep. I like but, that. But does but does the, the like because he, he eventually the inspector eventually encounters Dracula, but okay. we never see Dracula. You know what I mean? We never see him. We see shadows in the movement, but we never actually see Dracula. You know? All right. And you so know, we, I f- like toward the end we don't see either of them at the end of the movie, and it's like, did he kill him? Did Dracula leave? What happened? You know? This may not be your intent, Peter, but you explaining it like that really sent chills up my spine because I got Blair Witch vibes from it, you know, and I think Blair Witch is, you know, hit or miss for the audience. I personally really love it. But that ending where it's like, 
you've never seen the witch the whole time. You see the one person who's encountered it through the camera, and then it, you know, it ends with the camera dropping. And that, sorry, spoilers, everyone. Uh, but that like, movie came out what it, twenty it, years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's okay. around the time of the Matrix, which we there also covered on this podcast. Right, right. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but. Like, I do love that idea of, like, the ominous ending and, like, someone has encountered the villain, but that doesn't mean you really get to see the villain or experience them face to face. And that's terrifying. You know what movie did that really well? Did you guys see Dunkirk? Yeah. You never, ever see an enemy soldier in Dunkirk. No, you don't. Never see Germans. Never see Germans. Only the airplanes, but you don't even see the pilots. Nope. And I thought that was really clever. That, that was interesting. Yeah. yeah, Dunkirk's a lot of... Yeah. yeah. Let's just say, I agree. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's cool, man. I've, I've got... Very much I so. wonder why I'm getting inspired because maybe perhaps we're making a vampire movie at some point, aren't we, Peter? Yes, we are. <laughs> so, yes, we are. Really? Yes. <laughs> uh, there is a movie in the works uh, right now that is being written uh, for the screen. And I won't tell much about it because... No, it's, we uh, are recording the big red buttons press. Yeah, so okay. it is, but I will say that it involves vampires and it's going to be amazing. White, um, yeah, it's gonna be fun. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. Hell yeah! Well, Rob, I, I mean, I gotta hear about the Phantom. Yeah, please do. Let's let's. Go. I need to know about this. I've seen Phantom of the Opera once at the Kansas City Metropolitan Theater. Yes. Um, maybe not the best performance. Okay. So. Uh, I really, if you could help me, like, explain to me a little bit more about The Phantom, because the story is a bit of a, a blank spot for me. So, disclaimer first that I got to say. So, The Phantom of the Opera is actually one of my all-time favorite characters of ever. Hell yeah. You know, I grew up listening to the music from the Broadway show, because my mom had gone to see the show, and she loved the music. And I thought it was a very haunting soundtrack. actually got to see it for the first time when I was about 14 years old and I was blown away it was my first time watching a, a, a Broadway musical it was it had emotion music drama romance magic effects intrigue mystery everything it had something for everyone but I really gravitated towards the character and I have since seen the show like six times and I always wanted to do my own take on the Phantom of the Opera which is funny because when you dropped this wildcard episode on us. I actually had a page in my notes, uh, in my notebook, my creative notebook, with some drawings and ideas for a Phantom of the Opera movie. Wow. So, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> I am ready to get started on this little pitch for yeah. you guys. Well, uh, Hell yes. So, the Phantom of the Opera... Go ahead, Peter. You were going to ask me something? Well, I was going to say, uh, I yeah. love the uh, Joel Schumacher movie. I know it gets knocked all the time, and I'm like, no. hey, I actually like that movie. But I'm going to tell you, man, me, I'm such a fan of the show. Like, I actually always secretly had this uh, like wish to play the Phantom in the Phantom of the Opera musical for like like five months. Wow. Just do like a five month run. Whoa. I would love to play that role and then never act ever again. You know what I mean? Like, I'm good with that. You yeah. Know? Uh, but I saw the Joel Schumacher movie and I thought it was a great film interpretation of the stage show. It they are very different from one another. Uh, and some artistic choices that they went with, like like in terms of how the Phantom operates. I understand why they did it for the film version, but I actually prefer the stage version because it ties into what I want to pitch to you guys today, which is 
The Phantom is a character shrouded in mystery. You never mm-hmm. fully understand on the stage show how he does some of the things that he does. Yeah. So I'm going to take you guys back to Paris, 1870, where an inspector is sitting down a stagehand and asking him to tell him what happened at the Paris Opera House when it caught on fire due to the events surrounding a mysterious phantom that haunts the opera, right? And this inspect this this stagehand begins to recount the tale, which is now going to be told in a more documented sort of way, as opposed to like you know, oh, this was the story. And we're going to focus on this stagehand's perspective of tending to the opera house because he's a person that lives in the opera house, works the opera house. Much like what the Phantom does. You know, the Phantom is supposedly living in the catacombs beneath the opera house. And he is a deformed man that is, you know, using his uh, intellect because he is highly intelligent. And all these, like, uh, mystery, magic, you know, um, tricks that he's learned throughout the years of his travels to pose as a ghost. But the difference here is... This stagehand doesn't know whether this is a man or not, and the audience doesn't know whether this is really a ghost or not, right? Uh-huh. And the Phantom oh, roams this, this, the, and you know the events of the story are sort of. But I really want to surround the story in a lot more mystery. I would stylize it to look very much like a 1920s film, um, kind of in the state in the way that Moulin Rouge was kind of interpreted. You know what I mean? Like back in the days or whatever. Like yeah, yeah. I would execute it sort of like that. I would not make it a musical, right? It would be a strictly mystery film with you know some uh, like macabre mystery sort of like the woman in black where you you you're kind of experiencing ghostly things happen and you don't know and it's all from the stagehand's perspective telling the story of the of christine and the ghost and stuff but i wouldn't focus so much on the romance aspect more of like the ghost is after somebody and there's an intent behind it and the stagehand is experiencing these events that are basically ruining or bringing down the fan the the opera house right and you know people start to wind up dead there's some hangings, you know, the ghost seems to appear. And then the stagehand actually, you know, like I have this great idea for a scene where, you know, in the in the lore of the Phantom of the Opera, the, op- the opera ghost would say that any performance, they had to leave box five in the theater open for his use, right? Yeah. It was his mm-hmm. personal use. So I want to make it that the stagehand one day has the must, like the courage to actually go into box five. And he witnesses oh, yeah. some strange events. And he finally gets his first glimpse of the actual opera ghost. And he is freaked out because these things happen. And the ghost is not happy that he's there. And, you know, shenanigans ensue and stuff. But the way that he recounts the tale to the inspector is where we actually have the inspector start to sort of believe the legends of this ghost or not, right? And we keep going into, like, all the climax stuff of what happens. There's a really interesting character in the books that is not in the show called The Persian. And he's a man that is of the phantom's past that comes into this uh, world. And apparently he's the one that sort of mentored him in a way of magic or whatever. Like, I think that introducing that kind of mysterious character and kind of having a whodunit uh, intrigue a little bit as to maybe someone in the theater has something to gain by portraying the ghost, right? Okay. Um, and then you get to the the legends of a man who was deformed that lived in the catacombs, right? Yeah. And people start to speculate, well, maybe that's the phantom. But then upon the climax of the movie, 
that the inspector goes back to inspect the catacombs, there's nothing. There is someone living in the catacombs, but they've been dead for 20 some odd years because it's just a skeleton. And they see the piano and music, right? And they find a mask, but it has been there for a ton of years. So the twist is maybe the ghost was actually a ghost this time as opposed to you know, a person running around. So I would do that as my take. The joke take that I was going to do was that we make this like a metal rock opera, you know, where the phantom <laughs> is a metal head uh, rocking a metal thing. And that would have been a really cool, uh, you know, very surreal take on it. But I think that I like prefer my mystery aspect. I like that mystery so, aspect uh, Yeah, that's yeah. what I leave you guys with. I don't know what you guys think. I think it's awesome. I really, I think you cast a like, I think you could get a whole bunch of people into a movie like that. You know what I mean? Like the first people who would go to see that story would be Phantom of the Opera fans. And then they're going to come out and be like, no, you got to see this. It does not matter if you have seen the opera or care about it at all. This is one of those stories. And that's what I like the most about it because it's like you're playing with people's like thoughts. No, it's not a musical. It wouldn't be a musical. It's as much as musical. I love the musical, I would not make this a musical movie. This would be a yeah, mystery yeah. movie to its core. Ah, uh, I love that. Because that keeps the budget down on something like this. Well, that's true yeah. too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like anybody, like any studio is going to be looking at it and be like, okay, so we've already done it. We've already done the. Uh, how are we going to resell it to the to everybody to come back and watch this movie again in the uh, in theaters? You know, unless it's like 20, 30 years down the road, but people are, are going to be able to watch the Gerard Butler version. My question to you is, who is the Phantom of the Opera? In my version? No, in like in the in the ver- I mean it's just is it some random dude living so down there his obsessed name with is opera? Eric. His name is Eric and he was a deformed man who was treated very harshly by society because of his deformity. He didn't look deformed in the movie. Well, in the movie they make him look very pretty, but the thing about the Phantom of the Opera in the musical show is that he was very deformed and in the stage show he is very ugly. Like he is very deformed, but he, when he, when we first see him, there is a sexiness and a pull, an attractive pull to the Phantom because he's a brilliant musician and he is this presence of a ghost. And he's made himself to look like Rudy Valentino from the from that age. He wore wears a slicked back wig. the The mask hides the deformity, but it looks like a human side of a person. Like it has a ghostly appeal to it because it's white and kind of like a dead face. But the idea is to make him. He tried to make himself as like the attractive movie star of the time, right? Or like like actor of the or playboy of the time because he wanted to attract Christine. He wanted to hide his deformities. And he is this brilliant master musician, magician, right? Mm-hmm. That is a genius, but he's got this deranged duality to him because of how society has treated him. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he only wants to be loved. He's fallen in love with Christine. He goes about portraying himself as this angel of music, the, de- the ghost of, his, of Christine's dead father that is inspiring her to learn to sing. Okay. And she does. She actually does learn to sing. And in your version, does the ghost become obsessed with Christine? So I changed it a little bit where there is a Christine in the story and that there is a pull that the phantom is haunting Christine and coming okay. because maybe he, there is a, 
But the whole thing, remember, is this is the perspective of a stagehand who is very much the other side of the coin to the Phantom. It's like a man who lives in the theater but is a good person, tends to the theater, and he is experiencing this, you know, at night when everybody leaves the theater. He's experiencing things with this ghost, right? And he's wondering, is it a man? Is it not? Uh, The financiers of the theater are wondering, is it somebody trying to commit insurance fraud for us? Is somebody trying to take our thing? Like, there's all these mysteries. The Persian comes in. It's like, well, is the Persian the ghost or whatever? And you keep this mystery going until you find out that, yes, in fact, there was a deformed man living at the bottom because you'll see it from the warped bones of his of his body. But he's been long dead and he actually is haunting the actual Paris opera. So I thought that was kind of cool when you actually make him an actual ghost. Guys, I really liked the thought experiment of this episode. And you know what I I came up with while we I was rehearsing, or not rehearsing, but telling you guys my ideas for an alternative Wolfman story? I remembered what sparked this idea when I was writing my notes. I, I did not think about this at all when I was making notes for today's episode. But as I was reciting it, I had to write something down. So when M. Night Shyamalan's The Village came out... Yeah. Right, not everyone's favorite no. movie, but I remember. I I don't remember what movie I was seeing, but I was seeing a movie with a buddy, and there was the first trailer to the Village, and it was huge because Sixth Sense was the last one that like really blew our minds, and we. Well, did it go Sixth Sense then Unbreakable then the Village? It was regardless. It was Sixth Sense Unbreakable. Signs. Signs. And then the village. Yes. Then the village. village. Wow. Okay. So we had been let down a couple of times since Sixth Sense. And uh, (laughs) I I liked Unbreakable, though. I won't lie. I I did like Unbreakable. I I, I will say that. He kind of redeemed himself with Split. Wait, wait. That's what I hear. What was the The, James McAvoy one? The James McAvoy one. Didn't they do one with all three of them? They did one called Glass, which is the third of that trilogy, of the Unbreakable trilogy, which was not as good. Split was phenomenal. I I never saw any. Split was very good. So Glass. So if I go through the thing, you know, we saw Sixth Sense, and then Unbreakable comes out, and everyone's like, well, this wasn't the twist I was really thinking or the type of movie. I'm used to the dead people. Yep. Right, right. And then we get signs where we're like, well, why would they come to a planet with all this water? And so we're all a little bit like, I don't know, you better redeem yourself here. And, yeah. you know, everyone has their own opinions. But I remember seeing the trailer to the village, and we were really, like, pumped. We were so like, oh, my God, I. this is... Yeah, and... I, you know, this is one of those points where we're like, okay, this is a director that's going to have a twist. And the dude sitting next to me, I, I, this is one of those moments where this memory just came to me. He goes, it's werewolves. There's werewolves in that, in that, in that village. How, no. how wrong we were. Oh my God. But, um, can I, can I, like, I'm going to That would have been a lot better, by the way. But maybe, yeah, no oh, kidding. Sure. Well, but there was a monster in there the whole time. Yeah, like, guy it was, exactly. It was yeah. But I got to tell you, I actually called the twist when I because I remember going. I was at a friend's house. I had just graduated high school. We were at we were at a friend's house going to a pool party. And we we're like, oh, we got to go see the village, man. And we're like rushing to the theater and we're walking because we had seen the Sixth Sense together ba- way back in the day, right? So we went mm-hmm. to go see the village, and my dad was like excited because he loves those movies. And we sat down and we were like looking at the village. We're like, oh, dude, this is so cool in the mood. And then like 
like somewhere like halfway between the movie, I'm like, okay, the twist is that they're actually living in modern times. I, I have a feeling like they actually live in modern times. And my dad's like, nah. Yeah. And then that's what happened. And then I was like, this movie was such an utter letdown. Yes. Like, yeah. it was so beautifully presented to us at the beginning and the trailers. And I was like, this is actually going to be a good one. And then I was like, this is horseshit. <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah. I mean, it, it got worse. For Let's just put yeah, it that way. Lady in the water. Oh my God! What a pretentious. By the way, guys, I think that we should do a M Night Shyamalan month. Why? I don't know because it'd be hilarious. Because <laughs> you know no, this no, podcast no, no. is about movies that make us feel good, so we're gonna do an M Night Shyamalan. Because you know, let's face it. I want I want to review the the Lady in the Water or the me. Last Airbender or <laughs> yeah no, or no. the Happening or or, or After Earth. Or after, oh, oh. my God. <laughs> You know what? It would be Jesus. fun, though. It would be fun to, like, try and, like, watch all of those movies and, like, but what's good? So You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, what did we like? I, I, I will say that I, I take something that I like out of M. Night, every M. Night Shyamalan movie. His best is definitely uh, The Sixth Sense. I do like Unbreakable. Split was good. I enjoyed Split, but mostly more for James McAvoy. But... It's weird. Like as much as I have respect for every director, and James and 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 M Night is 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 has some talent, but I kind of feel like he was a one hit wonder, guys. I'm not. I don't so know. So wait, guys so there's a him. twist in Glass and Split? No, there's not really a twist in Glass or Split. The thing about Split is that James McAvoy's performance as all those multiple personalities is really good. The twist is that it ties to Unbreakable. Ah. Uh. You know yeah. what I mean? And that, like, yeah. this dude may actually have powers or may yeah. not. It leaves you with the question. Yeah. But it's really, it's just a really freaky story. And then at the end, there's a shot where they're telling the story in the news of these this girl that got kidnapped and whatever. She broke away. And then it pans over to see Bruce Willis. And um, he says, oh, yeah. They're like, wasn't that like that other guy that blew up the trains or whatever? And he's like. His name was Glass, Mr. Glass, and they show Bruce Willis, and then the movie ends right there. So it was like a twist that it all ties into into this unbreakable storyline. Gotcha. Yeah. Universe building. Yes. Dark, realistic <laughs> superheroes. Not yes. Well, guys, like I said, I thought this was an awesome thought experiment, and I really, really can't wait for the next um wild card episode i know we got a month to go before we get yeah, there we got some good ones but uh i just before we close out want to remind the listeners to head to apple podcasts and leave us that five star rating and review tell us what your favorite horror movies are what your favorite movies you are what you'd like us to review down the line it's uh it's just going to be a whole heck of a lot of fun yeah. and uh let's keep this train going absolutely man as i take a nice last whiskey drink from my uh large magical the movies mug <laughs> this was so peter thank you for getting these made man oh you're welcome of course yeah thanks peter this is you're awesome welcome. we're gonna be uh we're gonna be selling these things on uh on my Peterific merch store, I think that's where that's probably where we'll put them first, and until we we get a new um, merchandise store specifically for Madrigal at the movies. And uh, on that note, also guys, follow us on Instagram, Madrigal at the movies. It's really easy; just follow us. There's some great video content there for you guys, and we drop hints to new episodes every week. So please follow us on that too. 
Absolutely. A uh, link to that and the link to the store will be in the show notes. So you can just open your, you're listening right now. Just open it up. Tap it with your thumb. Oh, baby. I love that. <laughs> For Robin Rob, I am Peter Madrigal and you're listening to Madrigal at the movies with Robin Rob. I'll see you next week. Woo!